I love it when God connects the dots for me in scriptures um, and I learn something new, something I hadn't been aware of before. Sometimes it's not necessarily a revelation, but it's rather a moment of, oh, well, you look at that. I hadn't thought about that before. Well, today is one of those moments I get to share with you today. I had kind of that, oh, wow moment as I was reading our passage uh, today, and I'll share that when we get to that point in the sermon this morning. Um, We have been looking a little deeper into the book of Acts and uh, the last several weeks past Acts chapter 2 that we're so familiar with, uh, with the story of the event of Pentecost. And today we are reading in chapter 10, and uh, if you have your Bibles, you want to get there and and hold it open. We're going to be covering quite a bit of it quickly. Uh, The events we're going to read today begin in Caesarea. I want to tell you some geography, kind of where it is. Um, It is a beautiful Roman city on the coast. Um, Herod would have lived there. It was quite a governing place. It's quite beautiful. Um, Peter has been there before in his preaching and in performing miracles, so people around the town would have kind of been aware of who he was and his ministry there. But it's just down the road from Joppa. And some of us don't know where Joppa is, but Joppa is uh, a part, uh, a part of Joppa is is a part of modern-day Tel Aviv. And to give you an idea, and so you kind of know they're not far from each other along the Mediterranean coast. Now we're going to begin reading in Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. We're going to kind of walk through this. So beginning in verse 1, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now I want to pause there for a minute and tell you a little bit about Cornelius. Cornelius is not a Christian. He is a Roman. He's not a Christian yet. Um, He believed in God. He even prayed, but understand that many pagans prayed to their gods. Um, One commentary even said, wouldn't it be great if us Christians were as diligent in our prayers as the pagans? Because they were very serious about this. Now, they would pray in order to get God, their God, their little G God, to do for them, to win his favor, to persuade him, to bless them, and things like that. Um, Our nature is so we pray so that we can understand what God's will is, so that we can join him in what he's doing instead of getting God to come and empower us the other way around. It's uh, quite a little different there. Today, if you were looking at Cordelius, today you might say that he was a man who lived in the neighborhood. He attended church on special occasions. He was friendly toward the church, but he was not actually a Christian. He does things some Christians do, like giving to help the poor, even offering up positive thoughts. Have you heard that before? I'm thinking of you. I will give positive thoughts toward you and your situation. Um, Cornelius was a very generous man, giving many gifts to the Jewish people, even. Now, understand the nation of Israel was always, they have always laid great stress on giving. Matter of fact, they're still very giving as a a nation. Um, God taught them this in the Old Testament, and when we speak of the tithe, it meant something a little bit different to them. It was something much more involved, but their understanding was from the Mosaic system that actually they gave three-tenths of everything they earned. And we think one-tenth is a lot, right? They gave for the running of the government. That was one-tenth. They gave for the maintenance of the temple. 
which was another tenth, and they gave a tenth of all that they produced. So they gave three-tenths of everything they made. Now Luke points out that Cornelius was doing all this and more by calling him a generous man. He was a good guy. Cornelius uh, took his needs to God, but he needed to have more light in his life. He wanted more understanding, more truth in his life. He may not have known how to pray, but he tried. He tried to pray regularly. Verse 3, it picks up. It says, One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. Now, three in the afternoon is a standard time of prayer in the Jewish culture. It's when they would go and offer up prayers. It says, He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, called him by name. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. And the angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Let's pause there again. I mentioned Cornelius is a good man to all outward observation. In America today, he would pass as a devout Christian. A Christian of the highest degree. A man outstanding. He, is, he was actually uh, not a believer in Jesus. He had not been told the gospel. He did not know anything about the resurrected Christ. Did you know, or do you know, that there are churches everywhere all around the world that have lots and lots of good people in them? Generous people. Outstanding people. But they are not Christian. They know all the songs. They know what to say. They know how to act. They know when to stand and when to sit, when to bow their heads, when to laugh but they have not accepted the fact that they need a Savior. They have not embraced Jesus as a risen Lord. I was preaching one Sunday years ago and telling my congregation about a man named Joe Glenn. Joe Glenn was teaching me a process on one-on-one discipleship. And um, after the service, I'd, I'd mentioned him by name, after the service, one of my a congregant named David had approached me, and he was asking me some questions about Joe Glenn. Well, it turned out that David had taught tennis to Joe Glenn's daughter, or one of them, when she was in high school. He was a college student. She was in high school. And I'm all about making connections. I love to know who you know and how I know that same person, and I love doing that. And it was neat to make the connection between Joe Glenn and David. And, um, and I really didn't know David very well. Um, and I had just met Joe Glenn. Well, I went and saw Joe Glenn the next week, a few days later, and, and, I, and he remembered David. I was telling him about it, and, and he asked me the question. He asked me, is David a Christian? Well, Joe Glenn and I had just had a conversation the week before about what a Christian was. So what is a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? Why are we called Christians? And after that conversation, and then him asking me about David, I couldn't, I couldn't answer. I said, 
I don't know, I don't know if David is a Christian, according to what we've just talked about. And so Joe Glenn asked me, Joe Glenn's a lay person, he's not a clergy, by the way. He kind of looked at me with this look, and he said, so David's a member of your church, and you don't even know if he's a Christian or not? How did you let that happen? I looked at him and said, that's not fair. And he said, you're right, it's not. But he said, but if he's not a Christian, he deserves to be. Why don't you start meeting with him? Start discipling him like I'm discipling you. I went, okay. So I reached out to David, actually on my way back into town. I called him and asked him if he would be willing to meet with me, and he was kind of reluctant at first. It sounded a little freaky, but he decided that he would. In our first meeting, we sat down, we talked about his spiritual journey, how he had grown up, what he had learned, how he, if he'd been to church or whatever. And then we talked about what a Christian is. And I asked him, according to this definition, would you call yourself a Christian? And with tears running down his face, he said, no, I would not. And my jaw got stiff, and I looked at him and I said, well, you deserve to be. Do you want to be? And he said, yes. How many of us are sitting in church today and have never made a decision to make Jesus Lord of our lives. There are a lot of us in church who have been doing this church life a long time, but we've not committed to following Jesus. We are more about keeping our traditions, more about our institution and keeping it intact. We're kind of congregationalist followers. We like to gather with people who think like we do, and we kind of follow that track. But if we ask ourselves the hard question, have I truly asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life? Everything else is second. Or I can be a little Christ. Have I committed my life to Him? Cornelius was a pagan who wanted the light of truth. And God heard his prayer. He wanted to know the truth about who God is. The story continues in verse 9. We read, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey from uh, Caesarea to Joppa, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He, he became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contains all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then the voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied, I have never put anything impure or unclean. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. And we're going to summarize some of the next several verses. But So first we have God comes to a pagan at a specific uh, 
with a specific name and location, telling him, go there and get this man. Go to Joppa, get Peter. He's at Simon the Tanner's house. And you would know where the Tanner's house was because it smelled like tanning flesh. You know what I'm saying? So when they walked to town, they kind of put their nose in there and go, it's down here by the water. I can smell him. So they went there and they found him. Then God comes to Peter in a vision. And he doesn't, Peter doesn't seem to understand it at first, and he tells Peter to go with these men that are going to come looking for him. He said, they're coming at your door right now, and I don't want you to miss this. Don't miss this. Peter is a man who is this side of Pentecost, just like we are. When it makes no difference whether we eat meat or not. However, Peter is still abiding by the Mosaic system and is not eating anything ceremonially unclean. He is sincere, and he's very honest about it. But his struggle is in this vision because he wants to be faithful to God, and God seems to be saying, I want you to step out of your comfort zone and get past these traditions because these traditions are creating a barrier to the good news of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is talking to him about it. And as you continue in chapter 10, you find that as they are still, he's still wondering about this. Cornelius's men show up at the door. They tell Peter about Cornelius, and, and Peter invites them in, and they spend the night, and they eat together, and then the next day they, they leave for Caesarea, and, the, and these two men meet, Cornelius and Peter. Cornelius the pagan, well-educated, influential, powerful man, falls at the feet of Peter out of reverence as he walks in the door. And Peter may be a little um, embarrassed, he makes him get up and he goes, hey, I'm just a man like you. Don't be doing this. But Peter tells him, he says, you know it is against Jewish law for me to be here. He could be prosecuted for that because it makes him unclean to be in the house of a Gentile. He says, but God has shown me that I should not call any man clean or unclean. And then he looks at him and he says, why am I here? He doesn't understand why he's been called. So Cornelius tells him his vision and then Peter understands that he is to present the gospel to him. You can read all the details in chapter 10. Now I mentioned that Cornelius was a God-fearing man and a man of influence and respect. The scriptures tell us that he had invited his whole house to come together when Peter arrived so they could hear what he had to say. Now this would have included his family, his wife and his children, it would have included his uh, servants and their families. It would have included uh, his workers, his comrades, and even his neighbors because it says he was well-loved. So he would have had a house full of folks to come and hear Peter. And this is when Peter, remember, the former day laborer fisherman, he's not well-educated. He's just a follower of this Jesus. And he realizes what God is doing with this opportunity. Verse 34 picks up. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And he says, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know that what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. 
How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Remember, he's in another place now. He's in the Gentile land. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, right in the middle of his sermon, can you believe that? Right in the middle of his sermon, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Now wouldn't that be something? The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them a few more days. You know, some theologians refer to this incident as the Gentile Pentecost. The first was in the Jewish nation, and now this is in the Gentile nation. Peter's revelation is that we are all sinners. Every single one of us. Pagan, Christian, black, white, brown, yellow, red or blue, gay or straight, we are all sinners who ought to know who Jesus is. Everybody ought to know who Jesus is. Because when you meet Jesus, it changes everything. You know, there is not a single sermon preached as recorded in the book of Acts that does not mention the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, that is the very heart of the gospel. Jesus Christ died, He was buried, He rose again from the dead. Those are the historical facts. And your relationship to a risen Savior determines your eternal destiny, nothing else. It's not the fact that He just died. It's not the fact that He just was buried. It's the fact that He is risen and alive today, and He wants a relationship with you. He died for our sins according to Scripture, and He was raised again for our justification. You know, the last three weeks, we have covered three conversion stories, and each one of them is representative. The Ethiopian eunuch conversion, Saul of Tarsus, the conversion story, and now Cornelius. In each one, the Holy Spirit moved, using a man of God and then the Word of God to bring revelation of who it is and bring about salvation for those individuals. So why are these three representative? 
Well, each of these three men represented a race and a people group that every person on this planet can trace their lineage back to. All of them go back to three brothers. This is my wow moment. This is my, oh my gosh. You can trace all of our lineage back to three brothers. Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And some of you are like, I've never heard those names before. That's because there's Noah's boys. You ever heard of Noah? After the flood, Shem's line were, were the Israelites. They included the Assyrians, the Chaldeans, the Elamites, Arameans, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, and modern-day Arab people. These were the people that got the message through Saul's conversion. Understand that line, his conversion. Japheth's line included Persians, Romans, Scythians, Macedonians, and modern-day Western Europeans. Cornelius's people, probably most of us here, are Cornelius's line or Japheth's line. The last line is Ham's line. Canaanites, Babylonians, Phoenicians, Cushites, Egyptians, Ethiopians, and what we know as modern-day Africa. That was the eunuch. All three of these conversions link back to these three brothers. Why is this wow me? Because God destroyed the earth with a flood, saving one family, and then repopulated the earth through them. They're very... Then very, very purposefully, he gave us the conversion stories of every tribe and every nation in the world right here in consecutive chapters in the book of Acts. You have been reached out to very purposefully. God brought about a tremendous change in Peter, something against all his tradition in order to reach someone for Jesus that was outside of that tradition. My question is, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You deserve to. You can. You should. Because the truth is, everybody ought to know. Everybody ought to know who Jesus is. And I hope that you know him today. As we pre prepare for communion today, remember the words that we will be sharing. We will say, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Such a powerful testimony of who Jesus is for us. As you prepare your hearts, I'll prepare the table for us today.